podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 21st of December. It's Christmas week. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Eight games to get through. A pretty exciting weekend in the Premier League. Some good games, some not so good games, but excitement and controversy reigns, as always, in this Premier League season. First up on Saturday morning, Liverpool put seven past Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. A very, very strange game. Uh, The first half, Liverpool score early. Uh, Taki Minamino scores his first goal in the Premier League, puts Liverpool 1-0 up with a, a really, really tidy finish. After good work from Sadio Mane. And Liverpool proceeded to have five to six minutes of really good play. Where they really looked to be on it. And really looked like they were capable of adding to that scoreline. And then they sort of fell away. And Palace took over. And I would say for about 20 to 25 minutes. Palace were the better team. And had a couple of good opportunities. Uh, I, I, I will never understand why Jordan Ayew didn't shoot. When he got through one-on-one with Alison Becker. Instead, deciding to cut the ball back towards Wilf Zaha, but failing to find him. Uh, Palace had, you know, some good play in midfield. Ebrich Easy was picking things up and starting to weave his little bits of magic and control the game and, and create chances for others. We saw Zaha look dangerous. Jeffrey Schlupp, coming off the right-hand side, was having a good game, having an impact. And Palace did look like they were going to find their way back into the game. Until Liverpool go 2-0 up, uh, with Sadio Mane getting his first goal in 10 games. Uh, He always scores against Crystal Palace, so we knew at some point there was a good chance he would score. Uh, Mane finishes off a good move that involves Naby Keita, Taki Minamino, and Bobby Firmino setting up Mane. It's a great finish into the bottom corner. Keeper really doesn't have a chance. And then, just before halftime, it's 3-0. A brilliant 1-2 covering probably 60 yards of the field between Bobby Firmino and Andy Robertson. Firmino picks the ball up in his own half, plays it wide out to the left to Robertson. Robertson carries the ball. Firmino makes his run-off ball. Really nice cross into the box. An incredible first touch from Firmino. And a beautiful, arrogant finish with the outside of his right foot just to stroke the ball into the bottom corner. And you could see that goal visibly crush Crystal Palace. You could see their heads drop. Um, Nathaniel Klein maybe a little bit lucky not to get sent off right at the at the end of the first half when he fouled Taki Minamino on the edge of the box. Now, I will say Minamino looked offside but VAR didn't check that so I, I don't think they can check. I think that's the rule is that they can check it for a situation like that but Klein was was a little bit fortunate to stay on the field. Uh, He may view himself as unfortunate to have stayed in the field, given what happened in the second half. Liverpool fire out of the blocks, and Jordan Henderson puts them 4-0 up. A brilliant goal. Brilliant goal. Minamino finds Keita. Keita, with the first-time cross-field ball, finds Trent Alexander-Arnold. One touch, sets it back for Henderson, who runs onto it, and just fires it into the far corner. It's a really, really good goal. Really good strike. And... It set Liverpool on their way to just dominate the second half. Uh, Firmino would add a fourth on 68. Lovely bit of play by Mo Salah, who'd come on for Mane. And uh, Firmino goes through, clips clips it over the goalkeeper. Again, a lovely arrogant finish. 4-0. And then Mo Salah decides it's time for him to score. He um, scores the first from a header after Joel Matip knocks it down from a corner. And the second... 
in the 84th minute to put put a cap on the game and send Liverpool home 7-0 winners is one of the best strikes you're going to see all season. An absolute rocket from his left foot into the top corner from about 22 yards out. Um, it, it's 7-0 did reflect the second half dominance, but Palace will feel unlucky that they didn't go in in a much better position at halftime. And I think if they had, the second half doesn't play out that way. Unusual to see a Palace team get beaten in that manner, especially under Hodgson. Palace have been quite good this year. So this is a, a tremendous win for Liverpool. This is Liverpool playing at close to their best level. And they did it without Van Dijk. They did it without Salah and Mane on the pitch at the same time. So it does really strike down a warning for everybody in the Premier League that you're going to have a tough time taking the title off these lads. You really are going to have a tough time beating Liverpool to the title. They have Thiago Alcantara to come back into this team. James Milner will be back soon. Shakiri will be back soon. Jota and Simicus will be back at the end of January. They may well add somebody in January. Van Dijk and Gomez are the only two that are out long-term, but with the form of Fabinho, and given that in, I think, 14 games he's played now at centre-back, the only goals Liverpool have conceded were the dodgy penalty against Sheffield United, where he clearly wins the ball and wins it outside the box, and somehow a penalty is given, and then Heung-Man Son's goal um, in the midweek game against Spurs. Other than that, it's plain sailing for Liverpool. Uh, as I've said before, I think Fabinho's genuinely world-class at centre-back as well as at holding midfield. And he is going to give Jurgen Klopp a question to to answer. Do you keep Fabinho at centre-back when Van Dijk comes back and play them together and instead buy another holding midfielder? Or do you move him back into midfield and buy a centre-back? I think it's probably easier to buy a midfielder who can do what Fabinho does in there than it is to buy a centre-back who can play at the level he's at. Because Liverpool have a Liverpool have a defined window right now. Salah, Mane, Firmino, Alcantara, Fabinho himself, Van Dijk, Alisson Becker, they're all 27 and above. Liverpool have a window in which to maximise the prime of these world-class players. And everyone I've listed there you can argue about Firmino, and, and that's fair. But the rest, Salah, Mane, Mane, Alcantara, Fabinho, Van Dijk, Becker, there's no doubt all of them are world-class players. And Liverpool have a window in which to maximise the fact that they have these world-class players and win as many major honours as possible. And to do that, they're probably better off signing someone who comes in day one as a very, very good midfielder, who can become a great midfielder, as opposed to a good centre-back who can maybe become a very good centre-back and then maybe become a, a great centre-back. Um, it's going to be an interesting one for Klopp to decide on, but the idea of a, of a Fabinho-Van Dijk centre-back pairing as a Liverpool fan is something I, I'm very excited about. Um, after that, then, Manchester City. Beat Southampton 1-0. I think Southampton will be very disappointed with their performance in this game. They really didn't find their best form at all. Um, Raheem Sterling put City up on 16 minutes with a good finish after great work from Kevin De Bruyne. And it became a bit of a bitty game. There, there wasn't anywhere near the level of football you would have expected from these two teams. De Bruyne was was spectacular and he had some wonderful moments in the game. More bad news for Southampton, not just the defeat, but Danny Ings injured as well. Uh, hamstring injury, it looks like, this time. He's obviously just come back after six weeks out with a bad knee injury, or a you know an a knee injury. And he's had such dreadful injury luck over the course of the last five, six years that you just want the lad to get a break. You just want him to have, you know, you want him to have a couple of clear seasons without injuries. Last season, he showed what he could do. You were hoping for a repeat of that this year, just for him. Whether you're a Southampton fan or not, Danny Ings deserves good luck. He had such horrible luck at Liverpool. Two dreadful injuries. And he's come back, smashed in goals last season, was in great form this year up until the knee injury, just comes back and, and now he's out again. So, fingers crossed it's not too serious and he's not out for too long, but... um. 
For City, this is a good win. Three points away to a team that were in the top four going into the weekend. And gets them kind of back on track, gets them moving in the right direction. City are in seventh place, but they do have that game in hand against Aston Villa. And if they were to win that, it would jump them into uh, third spot or potentially fourth, depending on on how United's game in hand against Burnley went. But we'll, we'll talk about United in a bit. For Saints, they they stay, you know, in the top six, but they do drop a couple of places. And I think, I, I like I said, I think they'll be a little bit disappointed with their performance here. I don't think they'll believe they played to their best level. Um, they have Fulham away and West Ham at home to finish off the year. They're two games they will be expecting to win. I think they'll be two difficult games, but they're two games that Hampton will expect to win, even without Ings. Um, if they can win those two games, it sets them up really well for the second half of the season. It really does. For City, then, they've got Arsenal in the League Cup during the week. But then it's Newcastle at home and Everton away. You'd expect them to beat Newcastle comfortably at home. But Everton away will be a difficult game. Everton have refound some good form. And that'll end the year for City. Um, the third game then of the weekend gave us Everton themselves against Arsenal. And this is just... It's becoming an issue for Arsenal. It really is. The Arteta thing looms over the club. They really have to strongly be considering a change. And, and I say that as somebody that has that actually believes in Arteta as a manager and wanted him to succeed there. But they just looked... I mean, they had a decent start. They were they were good for 30 to 35 minutes. They go 1-0 down, Rob holding own goal, um, cross into the box. And I, I, I'd said this on a tad predictable. The lack of Gabriel as a dominant, strong, aerially superior centre-back was going to hurt them against Calvert-Lewin. And it's Calvert-Lewin making a run. Gets a flick on the ball. It's not going in. It hits holding and, and it finds its way into the net. Uh, it's a little bit against the run of play, I thought. Um, Arsenal go back in the field. They get a penalty. And Nicolas Pepe steps up. And strokes at home. Really, really confident penalty. Really good. Really good execution on it. But just you know, just before half-time, Yerry Mina with a great header. And again, if Gabriel is there, maybe he can deal with that. But he's not. So... Mina puts Everton 2-1 up. And the second half is just... <sighs> Arsenal huffed and puffed a bit, but Everton were quite comfortable. You never really felt like Everton were in massive amounts of danger. Uh, Pickford made one good save from uh, Baki Osaka, but he didn't have an enormous amount to do. He even came and flapped at a couple of crosses and presented Arsenal with some semi-decent chances. You know, Tiny Arms doing his, his part to help Arteta, but it, it didn't work. It's another defeat for, for Arsenal. And four defeats out of five. You know, the teams in 17th and 18th are only four points behind them. It's it's really concerning now for Arsenal, who they obviously have... Um, Manchester City in midweek in, in the cup, but then they have Chelsea at home, and then they go to Brighton to end the year. And if they were to lose both of those, they would be at best sixteenth turning the year. That's just not acceptable. It really isn't acceptable. Brighton are only two points behind them at the moment. Um, I think Arteta's position becomes untenable if he loses both of those games and they can talk all they want about their belief in him but the bottom line is that Arsenal Football Club should not be 15th in the Premier League and looking more likely to get dragged into that relegation battle than to pull themselves out of their current predicament and and climb the league. For Everton they move into the top four and um, they deserve to be there. They've had a really good run of form of late uh, they've turned things around after that that big blip that they had, and uh, that's 
Chelsea, Leicester and, and Arsenal beaten in, in successive games. And look, Arsenal are obviously not anything close to the the level of team that we expect Arsenal Football Club to be. But they're still Arsenal Football Club. And for Everton, who for years struggled against the big six, this season they've beaten three of them. They beat Spurs away on the opening day, which was huge. And then they've beaten Chelsea and Arsenal. And while you can scoff and say, yeah, but they're not, you know, particularly good Arsenal team. This Chelsea team's not as good as the, you know, the great Chelsea teams we've seen. That is true. Absolutely. But from a mental point of view, knowing they've gotten a win over Arsenal, getting the habit of beating teams called Arsenal, called Chelsea, called Spurs, that is what will turn things around at Everton, and that is what will just shake away that stigma that Everton have had of being inferior to these clubs. The win over Leicester, I mean, Leicester were tremendous yesterday and sit second in the league. So that's a great win for Everton as well. Um, by and large, they're having a good season. You know, the there's obviously some of the disappointing results. Disappointing result at home to United, at home to Leeds, away to Newcastle. But, you know, all things considered, Everton are having a good season and fourth position is, is really strong for them at this point. And I think they'll be delighted. They have Manchester United in midweek in the League Cup. Then they go to Sheffield United. That's a game they will expect to win. And then they have City at home. And that's a big game. That's a big, big game. If Everton could turn the year in the top four, I think it'd be huge for their fan base. It'd be huge for the players. I know we're not quite at the halfway point because of the late start this season, but they could get to New Year's in top in the top four. I think it would really set them up. And I think they'll be one of the teams that will make a move in January. Don't know how much they'll spend. I think a right back is probably... A high probability. I think it's one of the big areas of need in that team. Um, I, I really like what Carlo is doing. I, I like the football that they play for the most part. I think they can win games in multiple ways. I mean, you know, look at that game yesterday. Or on, on Saturday, rather. They go into that game without Alan, their best midfielder. Without James, their best creative player. And without Luca Dina, who's their best outlet, they're missing three of probably their five best players. And yet they're still winning games. That's massive for them. And they'll start to get those guys back. Alam will be back. Uh, Hamas will be back. And Dina will be back sooner than we think. I, he, he'll be back in about a month. And that's massive for them. If they can add a right back, I think they need to figure out the goalkeeper thing because Pickford played this game, Olsen played in midweek. I think Olsen's clearly the better goalkeeper. But if they can sort that out, figure out what Carlo wants to do at centre-back. I know it's been Mina and Keane, but I do think Holgate and Godfrey might be what he's looking at long-term. Um, if they can get that right back in and just give themselves some balance and, and upgrade that position, they're going to be they're going to be a problem for teams for the second half of the season. They really are. If he wants to stick with the 4-2-3-1, I mean, James obviously would fit in for Gilfie. You bring in a right back. You bring a land back in for Davies. Dina in for Godfrey. So it's a right back and a right winger they would need in, in that situation. If they had been smarter a couple of years ago, they wouldn't need to worry about right wing because they'd have Adam Ola-Luckman, but they don't. So fill those two positions and that Everton team all of a sudden becomes really, really strong back to front and would have decent depth. Um, I think they're obviously going to be much happier with, with the weekend's events than, than their opponents, Arsenal. Um, and then the final game on Saturday was probably the least entertaining game, though it did have itself a little bit of controversy as Newcastle draw 1-1 with Fulham. It's a great point for Fulham who went 1-0 up to a Matt Ritchie own goal. But Joachim Anderson finds himself sent off uh, 20 minutes into the second half after uh, coming together with Callum Wilson. Now, he did pull pull Wilson back outside the box, 
but a penalty and a red card were issued because he clipped his heels as they ran into the box. Now, to me, it looked completely innocuous. It looked like it looked like Wilson threw himself to the ground. Now, you, there was definite contact, but I don't think it was enough to cause the tumble that we saw. Um, I think the double jeopardy rule should have protected Anderson from a red card here, but it didn't. He'll serve a one-match ban, and that's a big, a big blow for Fulham because he's been excellent for them. Wilson scores, he's having a great season. He's having a great season. He is showing why other Premier League clubs who didn't move for him in the summer messed up. Um, I said early in the summer that he was one that Brighton could look at. Um, I I don't know that he had much else. I know he had interest from Aston Villa. Um, I think it worked out well for them as well because they really like Watkins, but there's other clubs that could have done with Callum Wilson. Newcastle took the gamble, uh, paid around twenty million, and he's repaying that faith. Eight goals in twelve games in all competitions, seven and ten in the Premier League. He's had the one little hamstring injury, which cost him a couple of weeks, but it hasn't affected his goal scoring. Um, at this point, he will beat his goal tally for last season uh, before the turn of the year. So that that's really really good. His Premier League record personal record is is 14 in 30 games. He's well on track to beat that this season as well. And um, Newcastle just continue to grind along and do Steve Bruce things. And I, I like the pairing of, of Jolington and Wilson with Jolington playing kind of off Wilson. I think that's working really well for them. They still have Dubravka, Dubravka to come back into that team and Lachelle's to come in and, and you know there's more to add I say Maxman didn't didn't start this game um because obviously he's he's got the injury as well so Toon are looking pretty comfortable I I don't think they'll have too many concerns they currently sit 12th uh up next for them uh Brentford in the in the league cup in midweek and then as I mentioned they've got City away but then Newcastle play Liverpool at home so the next two games are really really tough then they open the new year with uh, with Leicester. So the next the next three games are really, really tough. So it'll be interesting to see where the league shakes them out after they play those three games. But they'll be really happy with how they've done so far. Um, Bruce has just made them hard to beat. That's just what it is. They're hard to beat. For Fulham, they're 17th. Um, now, Burnley do have two games in hand. Obviously, they play tonight. And then the other game in hand is against United. So that you, you would expect Burnley to find a point between two games and, and, and drag themselves up one. Um, Fulham will probably look at it as a little bit of a lost opportunity, having gone 1-0 up. But a point away is a good result when you are where Fulham are. Southampton at home next, then a trip to Spurs. That is a tough couple of games. Then it's Burnley on the 3rd of January in what is now a massive, massive game for both teams. Um, it's a tough run. It really is. And, I, and I, again, as with as with Arteta, I think Scott Parker's future is on the line here. I think one of the reasons West Brom moved as quickly as they did to get Sam Allardyce was because I think Fulham were probably looking at him as well. There's definitely been internal talks about Parker. That there's, there's just no, no two ways about that. And... Um, you know, three draws on the hop, it, it's not bad. It's three points. It's better than they had been doing, but with the talent that's there, they really shouldn't be as badly off as they are. And that largely does fall on, on Scott Parker. Into Sunday, um, first game, Brighton against Sheffield United. And Sheffield United get their second point of the season. Uh, so congratulations to them. That's now two points from 14 games. Two points from a possible 42. Uh, it's not good. It's not, not good at all. But they were better, for sure. They were better, for sure, in this game. And I think they'll take some solace from that. They you know, maybe could have won this game if things had worked a little bit differently for them. Um John Lundstrom sent off in the first half for a reckless challenge. Now, there's no malice, I don't think, in the challenge, but it is reckless and it is a little bit dangerous. Uh, he gets a red card. And the game is pretty even, even with um, 
even with the Blades having 10 men. You watch Brighton at times, and they play nice football, but then there's just some empty shirts in that team. There's just empty shirts in their team. And it it's probably why Sheffield United were able to stay in the game quite comfortably with 10 men. You know, there's just lads you know that aren't going to do a whole lot of much in that Brighton team. Um, Jaden Bogle on his Premier League debut puts Sheffield United 1-0 up with, it, with a deflected goal. I'm really happy to see Bogle finally get some minutes in the Premier League because he's a really, really good young player. Um, I, I don't understand why it's taken so long, whether there's been an injury or what, I don't know. But he's really, really good and, and will help Sheffield United. And it did look, for all intents and purposes, like they were going to get the first win. It really did look like they were going to get the first win. But defensive laps, as is their way, comes back to haunt them late on. And uh, Danny Welbeck scores from about three yards out. Nice touch and finish, but the ball should never get to him. Uh, it's just Sheffield United shooting themselves in the foot once again, making life hard for themselves. I mean, they had had some other, other opportunities in this game. Oh, Ollie Burke really should have scored. Like, really, really should have scored. And that would have put them 2-0 up. Um, they were happy to give... Brighton the majority of the ball, knowing that Brighton weren't creating a whole lot and were carrying a couple of players who just weren't playing well, but Sheffield need to sort this out. They really need to sort this out. They've got Everton away next and then Burnley at home and then Palace away. Sorry, sorry, Everton at home, Burnley away, Palace away the next three. That That's horrible. I don't see a win there. I really don't see a win there. That's two points from 51. Hopefully they can win one of them. I don't care which one. I really don't. I just want to see them win a game. Because for the mentality of the players, for the fans, for Chris Wilder, you just want to see them win a game of football. Any game of football will do. But it's just been such a disaster of a season. Like... You know, I don't know what to make of them. I really don't. They went out of the EFL Cup in, in the first round, or the second round, but their first round in it. They've lost so many league games. They haven't won in the league at all, obviously, this season. They ended last season on, what, three successive defeats? I think the last team they beat was Chelsea back in like, mid-July. That's not good. That's not good at all. Yeah, you really want to see them turn things around quickly. Um, or it is over. It is It is just going to be over for them. So for Sheffield United, just, just win a game. Just win one game of football. Please, lads, just do me that one favour. Uh, for Brighton, up next, they go to West Ham. Then they have Arsenal at home and then Wolves at home uh, to start the new year. But the West Ham and Arsenal games are big. They don't want to end the year dragged back into that relegation battle and as things stand now they look likely to get dragged back in they are only two points ahead of Fulham and Burnley and as I said Burnley do have those games in hand over them um, Burnley obviously play tonight against Wolves and that's a game that they could win that is at home if they win that game they will leapfrog not only Fulham but Brighton too and then that other game in hand is against United that will be a tough game obviously because United are where they are and they are who they are but um it, yeah, the Sheffield United thing is just, it's becoming, it keeps me awake. That, let's just say that, it keeps me awake. Uh, next up then, Spurs play host to Leicester City. A week ago, Spurs looked like they were real title contenders. Um, even after the draw against Palace, they looked like they were real title contenders. Level on points at Liverpool. But now two successive defeats, and uh, Mourinho can't even argue that the best team lost in this game. I am a big Jose fan. I should probably call him Jose, given that's his name. I'm a big Jose fan. I think he is one of the greatest managers the game's ever seen. But I don't understand why he sets his team up to play like that at home. Now, I know he, he understands that Brendan Rodgers and his teams traditionally have that soft underbelly where you can counter against them 
you can expose their defensive weaknesses. And that's absolutely fine. But the lack of the lack of cutting edge in the Spurs game at the weekend for a team that included Endembele, Lacelso, Son, Harry Kane, Regulon was just bizarre. Um don't really understand the need to continually start Musa Sissoko, who's not a particularly good player. Um, especially at home. I don't know what you need to start him for. But Leicester were Leicester were really, really good in this game. The first half was pretty even. It was a pretty even game of football. And you could probably even argue that Spurs might have looked the better team, but Leicester always looked dangerous. Serge Aurier, who had a really good game in midweek against Liverpool, for like 70-75 minutes he was excellent. And then he got really, really tired and resorted to just hacking down and pulling down Sadio Mane anytime he had the opportunity to. Um, inexplicably, gives away a penalty. I, I, I have no idea what he was doing. Out of the very corner of the penalty area, Wesley Fafana is controlling the ball in his chest and going absolutely nowhere. And Aurier just barges into the back of him and sends him flying. It's a stonewall penalty. It's a, it's a brain-dead move. You'd have to wonder what it is that goes through his head. If he didn't have those brain farts, he could legitimately be one of the best right-backs in the game. He's really good on the ball. Physically, he's an absolute monster. Defensively, he is generally quite good when he's engaged, but... He just has these brain farts, and they happen about once a game. So it's not like they're, you know, rarities. They do happen regularly for him, and it just... I don't see him at Spurs next season. Talent-wise, physical, physicality-wise, yeah, absolutely you'd want him. I don't think Jose will want Jose. Why can't I call him Jose? What is that that I can't call him Jose? I keep calling him Jose. Um, I don't think Jose will want him at the club next season because he's a liability, and he was a liability here. Um, Vardy steps up and does what Vardy does from 12 yards, bangs it down the middle, Leicester go in 1-0 up. And from there, it became very, very obvious that there was if there was going to be a second or a third or a fourth goal, Leicester were the only team that were going to score. James Madison has a goal ruled out. What would have been one of the best goals of the weekend. Lovely ball from James Justin over the top. Incredible first touch from Madison. Slips it past uh, Larice into the bottom corner. It's ruled out for offside. It was borderline, but it did look like the right decision. Um, and then Toby Alderweireld puts through his own net after Vardy wins a header against Moose Sissoko at the back post. It just it hits. Alderweireld and goes in. Toby can't, doesn't know anything about it. I didn't like that he turned around and started barking at Sissoko for losing the aerial duel. Yes, Sissoko should do better, but he's a, a midfielder playing at right back. What do you want from him? Like, what do you want from him? If Jose wanted to take off Aurier, he should have brought on Doherty. He shouldn't have brought on Winks and moved Sissoko. Sissoko was having a stinker of a game anyway. Hook him off, put Winks in midfield, and um, and bring on Doherty. Just bring a right back on. Um, that's 2-0. Like I say, could have been 3-0 if, if Madison had just been a little bit later with his run. Um, and then Yuri Thielemann should wrap it up and make it make it 3 late on. But instead, Blaze a shot over the crossbar after a really good build-up play from Matty Albrighton, who had a good game. Uh, it's a great win for Leicester. Really, really good win for Leicester. Pushes them back up into second place. Brendan will be very, very happy with that. They have Crystal Palace. They, they have Manchester United at home next in what is now a battle of second versus third. And then they have Crystal Palace away to end the calendar year. Big, big games. They will both be tough games. And they'll tell us a lot about Manchester about Leicester City. And that next game against Manchester United is potentially. Like that has potential to be really high scoring, end to end, entertaining game. I think it might be the game of the weekend. Um, it's the early kickoff as well, which 
always throws up something odd, like we just saw with Liverpool 7, Crystal Palace 0 at, at Selhurst. Um, that's, that's a really exciting game. I think that's one to look forward to. For Spurs, I mean, their title challenge didn't last very long. It, you know, they dropped to fifth, um, six points behind Liverpool now. And, you know, they've got Stoke in midweek in the League Cup. Then they go to Wolves, which will be a tough game. And then Fulham at home to end the year. I still think anything below third is a disaster for them this season. So I, I still think they will finish in the top three. They're only a point behind United, um, who are third. Though United do have that game in hand. A point behind Everton. You, you would fancy Spurs to pick up more points than both over the rest of the season. They just they have a better team. They have a better manager than United. They have a better team than Everton. I think the managers are probably a better wash. Um, They've definitely got a better manager than Leicester, whether they have a better team or not. They probably do have a better overall team, but Leicester's Leicester starting 11. When everybody's back, I mean, Pereira has to come back. Sayunchu has to come back. Cengiz Under can come into that team. Like That Leicester first 11 is really, really good. You'd love for them to be able to keep that together long term. You really would love for them to be able to keep it together long term. Add a left-footed left-back for balance. Find that long-term replacement for Schmeichel, the long-term replacement for Vardy, and continue to develop Madison and Barnes and Ndidi and Thielemans and Sionchu and Fafana. Um, it's a really strong team. It really, really is. Brendan Rodgers is very, very fortunate to have that team at his disposal. Very fortunate to walk into that situation where a, a, a team like that had pretty much all been assembled. I know he's added Fafana. And and under you know good signings and Castagnier, who's a, a quality squad addition. I don't know that he's the best signing to be a left back, as I've said before, in a back four. But he's a good player. Um, James Justin is there. He's another very good player. So there's a, there's a lot of good things there at Leicester. Um, for Spurs, I mean, it's a great squad. It really is. I, I think they'll probably be active again in January. What they'll bring in, I don't know. I think they could do with an upgrade in centre midfield next to Heusberg. If they could find someone to play next to him who's better than Sissoko, which shouldn't be too hard. I mean, Sissoko's not very good. He has decent runs of form, but if you watch him week to week, he's just not very good. Um, I, 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 yeah, I've said, I think Spurs are top three bound. I, th I think that's what they will be. Um, but I don't think a title challenge is really... Is really looking as likely now as it did five days ago, which is just so strange. Um, but look, I mean, Spurs could string together six, seven wins in a row. They they have the talent, and um, they've already gone on a long unbeaten streak this season, where they should have pretty much won every game, bar the Chelsea one. They threw away games against Newcastle and against West Ham. So I think mentally they just need to get a little bit stronger and. I think that one upgrade in midfield is definitely needed. And, and right back. <laughs> they need a, I know they bought Doherty in the summer. He's, he's not a particularly good defensive right back. He's more of a wing back anyway. If they had a better right back and someone in midfield, now I think Endembele can play in midfield with Heusberg and play Lascelles as a 10 or play, play Deli Ali as a 10. Um, there's so much talent in that squad that he is kind of spoiled for choice. Um. Moving on, we will move on. We won't get too stuck in that one. Uh, Manchester United 6, Leeds United 2. This game could have ended up anything. I mean, this game could have ended up 5-4 to Leeds because they had really good chances. Uh, United could have won this game 10-2 because they had some other really good chances. It was a very entertaining game and there was great attacking football played. Both teams were horrific defensively. And unfortunately for Leeds, it is just what they are. They're great fun to watch. They're very, very entertaining going forward. They are hopeless defensively. And I genuinely don't think I've ever seen a team defend set pieces worse than them. I really don't. They're that bad. They're just... Every time the opposition has a corner, a free kick, a throw-in opportunity... You just think they're going to concede. Um, Scott McTominay puts United up 2-0 with two goals in the first three minutes. 
Uh, two really good goals. The first one he runs on to a little sl- slip pass from uh, Bruno Fernandes and just smacks it into the bottom corner from 20 yards out. It's a great, great goal. And his second goal, he just makes a great run in off the shoulder. And it's a lovely finish past uh, past Messier. Um, you don't expect Scott McTominay to score many. So for him to get two is really impressive. United started the game looking great, especially in that midfield. McTominay, Fred and Bruno were all interchanging, linking up, playing really well. Dan James had come in on the right-hand side in a bit of a surprise move from Ollie, and was offering that outlet and that incredible pace that he has. And it looked to give United a bit more balance. Um, United did look really impressive in this game, it must be said. Going forward, as I said, defensively, Nobody should be impressed with what they saw defensively from this Manchester United uh, Manchester United team. But Bruno puts them 3-0 up. Um, nice move by United. The ball kind of breaks loose to him, um, and he just smacks it past Luke Ayling and into the net. Lindelof puts them 4-0 up with a nice finish from a set piece. Again, Leeds just unable to deal with set pieces. Liam Cooper pulls one back just before half-time. Leeds missed a couple of other decent chances and they, they were cutting United open at times and Harry Maguire looked like he was playing in concrete wellies, which was is always funny. Um, second half, Dan James gets in on the act, gets in behind the defence, scores a really nice goal, really nice finish. Really good for him because he's obviously had a tough time over the past 12 months. He, he joins United and I think nobody expected him to be anything other than a squad player who was developed. But Ollie has to throw him into the team or makes the decision to throw him into the team. And he starts really well and he has a couple of great games. And then the Premier League sort of starts to figure him out. Uh, and it becomes very clear that other than his pace, he's not offering a whole bunch of anything. And for some reason, United fans just took umbrage with that and decided to give him pelters. Um, he hasn't obviously been a starter for the better part of a year. He's had games here and there where he started, but he hasn't been a regular starter. Um, so it's nice for him to get a goal. There was a lot of rumours he could leave in January, maybe go on loan to Leeds. Uh, but it looks like he probably will stay now. Stuart Dallas pulls one back for Leeds. It's it's academic, really. It's it's just a, you know, it, it makes the scoreline a bit more respectable, but 6-2 isn't a whole lot better than 6-1. It, it is a great goal. Uh, lovely little layoff from Rafinha. Dallas takes a couple of touches, gets the ball out of his feet and puts it in the top corner. For Leeds, they, look, you can't criticise Bielsa. You can't. Because the thing with Bielsa is he knows his style of football will keep Leeds in the Premier League. He knows they have enough talent to stay in the Premier League. He also knows that they don't have the talent to fully execute what he wants, but that there are a bunch of players in that group who do have that talent and who will be part of the long-term picture there. So he wants to instill the style of play in them and then add the talent later. And I think that's just, I think it's the right thing to do. It's, if you're going to keep them up, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Because rather than have a whole team having to learn the style of play all at once, you can just pick and choose the players you want to then add to the group you have. And if you look at Leeds starting eleven, I mean, the goalkeeper is talented. I, I think he's maybe a little bit inexperienced. He's conceding a lot of goals, obviously. But there is talent there. Now, maybe they'd be better off adding, over the next two windows, adding someone who has a bit more experience and, and can be just a little bit more of a, a grown-up in the room. Neither of those fullbacks are going to cut it at the Premier League level as regular starters. I really like Stuart Dallas and Alioski. I think they're really good squad players to have. They're both super versatile, can play anywhere. Obviously, Dallas has played a lot at left back this year. He's played in midfield, can play on the in the wide roles. Very, very good, versatile player. Alioski the same. I think he's even played centre back this season. But they're two good players who are good squad players, but they can't be your starting fullbacks. Luke Ayling is a good attacking right back, but defensively he is just poor. He is poor defensively. And I just don't think Liam Cooper is Premier League caliber. I just don't. Maybe as your fourth centre-back you get away with him. But the thing for Leeds is that's their... Liam Cooper is their captain and Ayling is their vice-captain. So it's a big ask to put them both out of the team. 
But I think Leeds need an entirely new back four from what played at the weekend. Now, Diego Loriente and Robin Cock were signed in the summer. And I think those two deserve an opportunity when they get fit to get a run of games and see what they can do. Because I do think they're well, well suited to what uh, Bielsa wants to do. I think they need to buy two fullbacks and maybe buy a third centre-back. And then Cooper becomes your fourth. Ailing is your backup right back. You've got a bunch of options as your backup left back. They've got a couple of good young fullbacks there at Leeds as well. But Dallas and, and Alioski can just go into the midfield group and be rotated from there. I like what they've got going forward. I like Rafinha. I think he's a really talented player. I really like the way he's using Rodrigo. He didn't play particularly well at the weekend, but I do like that him in that role. I love Phillips. I think he's tremendous. He had a stinker at the weekend. He was dreadful against United, but he is really good. Um, Matthias Glish, I'm not sure about. He has good games and bad games. I think he's more of a squad player. I'd love to see them add Lewis Cook into that role. I think Cook could be bring him home. I, I think he'd be perfect for that role. Neat and tidy on the ball, energetic, goes box to box, really clever player. I'd like to see him and Phillips in, in midfield together. Um, and Harrison on the left, I do like. They don't own him, but I do think they'll end up keeping him. I don't think City have any real plans for much of anything with him. And then up front, the question is, what happens when Bamford has an off day? Because he had an off day in this one. And he's had a couple of off days this season. I know he's had a really good start to the season. And there's no question that he has outperformed people's expectations of him this season. But is he good enough to be your number nine every single week in the Premier League? I don't think he is. So maybe that's a position they need to update as well. So I think they still need four, maybe five starters. I think even to bring in someone of Bamford's level who can just be rotated in and out with him would help. Just take a bit of the burden off him because Bamford puts everything into every game and he walks off every field absolutely shattered. Um, but Leeds are a work in progress. But as I said, this style of play, Phillips, Rodrigo, Rafinha, Harrison, Robin Cock, they're all already integrated into the style of play. They already know what's expected of them. Loriente has been at the club now for a couple of months. I know he's been injured, but he has been learning the system, learning what his role is going to be. Um, Bamford and the keeper, absolutely, they're they're already there. They're, you know, I'm not saying you have to replace them. I'm just saying maybe it's something you consider. They know the system. They know the style. So for Bielsa, he's probably looking at it going, well, I only need to add maybe two, two or three players of the right quality, you know, of the Rodrigo, Rafinha kind of quality. and you know, we're good. We're going to be top half. And I think it's the right ploy for him. I do think there's times where maybe he needs to just be a little bit more pragmatic. But I'm not going to argue with Marcelo Bielsa. I'm absolutely not going to argue with him. If he wants to do things his way, don't argue with him because he'll just pack up and go. <laughs> don't don't question the man. But, you know, he's never been a great tactician. He's... He's an idea guy. He's a guy who has defined vision of what his football team wants to be. He doesn't really make many tactical alterations to his team. What he does is he changes shape depending on the opposition. But the the principles of the game, the the fundamentals of his of his style and system remain the same regardless of whether it's that 3-1-3-3 or the 4-1-4-1. They play the same way. It's just where the bodies are located. Um, Leeds will be... I think they'll be happy enough to be 14th. I think they'd hope to have been higher given the outlay in the summer. But all things considered, I think they'll be happy enough. Um, they have Burnley and West Brom as their next two. Burnley at home, West Brom away. There'll be two games they will have targeted to win. And those six points would be huge for them to end the year. Maybe jump them a couple of positions up in the table. Um, Burnley at home obviously will be tough. And West Brom under a big Sam will be tough as well. But I think their games Leeds would expect to win. Um, and with the league being so condensed, I mean, yeah, they're 14th. But City are only six points ahead of them and City are seventh. You know, the, the league is really condensed. A couple of wins here and there can make a big difference. And they could well jump themselves into the top half of the table. Um, for United, they jump up to third place with a game in hand, uh, that game against Burnley, so they could easily go into second. It's 
strange that they're so high given they've largely been poor in the Premier League. I, and that's not me saying that just because I'm a Liverpool fan. They have outright been poor in the Premier League this year. They've had really good halves. This and Everton are the only times they've played well for 90 minutes. And even at that, they weren't good defensively in this game. They looked incredibly good going forward. Bruno Fernandes had a great game, as he tends to do. Rashford looked lively. It was the best Martial has played this season by a mile. It's a shame he couldn't get a goal. Um, But when they're getting six goals and Rashford and Martial aren't scoring, it's a really good sign that the team is functioning well, that they're not reliant on those two for their goals every single week. A little bit harsh of Bruno not to give the penalty to McTominay, I thought. But, you know, it is what it is. They have Everton in in the midweek, and then they go to Leicester, and then they face Wolves at home. And then it's Villa at home, and those are actually three really tough games. And when you consider that the following league game after that is Liverpool away, we'll learn an awful lot about Manchester United over the next four league games. An awful lot about them. We'll learn if Ollie's for real. Now, this is what they do. When Ollie's under pressure, United can string together results and take the pressure off them, and then they'll fall apart again. And then the pressure will go back on. And then they'll win a bunch of games. And then the pressure comes off. And then they lose a bunch of games. And, the, and it's just an endless cycle under Ollie. That is what United are. An endless cycle of abject mediocrity meets great attacking play. Um, yeah, it is surprising that they're third in the league, though. That is... It's a fake position based on how they've played. But, I mean, for their talent, for the squad that they have... They should be in the top four. They really should. The wage bill, I mean, it's out of control. Um, finally then, yes, last night, uh, West Brom against Aston Villa at the Hawthorns. Uh, Big Sam's first game in charge, and it did not get off to a good start. The same issues that have haunted them all season long continue to cause them massive problems. Their defense is a train wreck. And Anwar, Anwar Al-Ghazi takes advantage of that to slip in at the back post. Just shocking defending. Absolutely shocking defending all of the show. And uh, he slips in the back post and scores. And it's it's 1-0 to Villa. And from there, it's just it's an uphill battle. It gets worse when Jake Livermore gets sent off. Um, for I, I don't know what he... I don't know that he makes a whole bunch of contact with Grealish. And Grealish flings himself to the ground, rolls around clutching at his leg in an area that is definitely isn't where Livermore caught him if he did catch him. It was a reckless challenge. It was a high foot. There's no question he was over the top of the ball. And he, if he did make contact with Grealish, he made it quite high up towards the knee area. But Grealish 100% makes a meal of it. It's, it's a red card. I do think it's a red card for a reckless challenge. I'm not arguing that. I I just think Grealish needs to cut out the play acting a little bit. I mean, he is the biggest diver. Him and Harry Kane are the two biggest divers in the Premier League, the two biggest play actors in the Premier League. And they get away with it because of, you know, where they were born. But I, I don't ever want to hear people talk about foreign players play acting and diving. It's it's English lads who do it worse than anybody. And I mean worse than anybody because it's always so clear that they're just play acting. Um, West Brom did make something of a game of it in that they kept Villa from scoring for 50 minutes after the red card but they had one shot on target they had one shot let alone one shot on target in the entire 90 minutes Sam just seemed to decide that after the red card that they were just going to take the 1-0 defeat and, you know, and move on and maybe he'd moan about the red card or whatever but um, Villa just kept probing and Jack Grealish grew into the game and, and became more and more inventive and, and more of an, you know, an influence on the game. Um, Bertrand Traore puts them 2-0 up on 84. Lovely left-footed finish uh, you know, ha- after carrying the ball a little bit and sliding it into the, into the bottom corner. And El Ghazi makes a three with a penalty. Grealish is fouled in the box and he steps up. He has seemingly become their penalty taker having not been in the team for the season, they have moved to a four-two-three-one of late, and you, I wonder if 
if that's how they'll stay when Barkley comes back. I don't know what the what it would look like. Maybe Barkley moves to the 10 and Grealish goes out on the left or whatever. But it's working for Villa. It's a good win. Um, thought Matty Cash being back made a big difference. Thought he really offered them something a lot different on the right than they had they had gotten last week when he was out of the team. Or mid-midweek, rather, when he was out of the team. Um, it's an important win for Villa. It pops them back up to ninth. Of course, they also have two games at hand, one against City, one against Newcastle because of the, the coronavirus cancellation. They have tough games coming up at home to Palace, away to Chelsea, and then United, and then Spurs. It is, uh, it's, and then it gets Everton. It's a rough run of five games. But in the form they've been in and how they've played this year, they'll be confident enough that they'll win a couple of those. Um, just get through the, the Palace and Chelsea games and, and we'll see how we stand at the turn of the year for Villa. Um, Barkley to come back will be big. He, he's he been missed. They do miss that drive from midfield, but West Brom folded like a nice cheap suit for them. For West Brom, 19th, seven points. So five points clear of the bottom team, but it's not, it's not a good look for them. I mean, they play Liverpool next, then Leeds, that's their... That's the year over. And then they start the year with Arsenal at home. Big Sam will most likely be pouring gravy all over things and licking his chops at the idea of getting Arsenal to the Hawthorns. But you don't you don't fancy them to go to Anfield and get anything. Um, that Leeds game will be a, a very much a contrast in managerial styles with Sam against Bielsa. So that's one to watch for. It's not... Not the result Big Sam will have hoped for in his first game. Um, certainly not the result the club will have hoped for when they fired Bilic and appointed him. So he'll need to turn things around. He'll definitely be active in, in this, the transfer market. He will definitely be active in the transfer market. Have no doubt about that. There are centre-backs en route to the Midlands, without question. And that is it. That is the games. That was the eight games of the weekend. Liverpool sit top. Four points clear of Leicester. United in third. Everton fourth, Chelsea, uh, sorry, Tottenham fifth, and Southampton sixth. There are games, of course, tonight. Burnley against Wolves, and then Chelsea against West Ham. Can Chelsea finally beat a team in the top half is the big question ahead of tonight's game. I'm uh, going to wrap up with a quick bit of gossip, because why not? Uh, Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, and Arsenal are all interested in Brighton's Yves Basima. Makes sense. Um... United desperately do need a player like that. I don't know that Arsenal necessarily do, but he's a good player and he would improve them. He's better than El Nani. He's better than Xhaka. He might allow Thomas Partey to have a lot more freedom. So maybe Partey could play in a box-to-box role rather than a holding, rather than a holding role. For Liverpool, yeah, I mean, he could be a Ginny Wijnaldum replacement who can also play that holding role and allow Fabinho to play centre-back at times. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be against him as a signing for for any top club. I do think there's better options out there, but he is a good player. Marseille would like to sign Ali Giroud. Of course they would, but French French football is in the toilet at the moment, so I I doubt it. Liverpool are <laughs> Liverpool are considering selling unhappy Egyptian forward Mohamed Salah. Says former Egyptian player Mohamed Abutrika. Uh, this is nonsense. This is garbage of the highest order. No, they're not. Uh, this is based on Salah saying he was a little bit disappointed not to get the armband away to Midland. It's garbage and should be consigned to a bin. Real Madrid are very confident of signing France for killing Mbappe next summer. No, they're not. No, they've already publicly said that they don't have the finances to do it. And you can just look at their Their finances are publicly available. They don't have any money. They're broke. They didn't buy anybody this summer because they couldn't afford to. And everybody said, oh, they're saving the money for Mbappe. They were trying to pay off debt. Spain midfielder Isco wants to leave Real Madrid in the January transfer window, but the club has yet to receive any offers for the 28-year-old. He's very, very talented. He's super, super lazy. I wouldn't want him at my club, but um, he'll definitely find a new club. Somebody will want him and somebody will pay some money for him. It might be one of those under-the-table under type deals they did for James where they mark it down as a free transfer and just you know get money in a different channel. Um... Bayern Munich chairman Karl-Heinz Rummenigge 
accepts that David Alaba is to leave the German club. He's uh, Real Madrid are favourite sign him. First of all, Karl Heinz Rummenigge should accept that he needs to apologise for the comments made um, over the weekend regarding that spitting incident. Um, he should be ashamed of himself. Um, as for Alaba, yeah, I mean, Real, of course, will want him. You'd imagine Juve will want him. You'd imagine any top club will want him because he's a great player. He's world-class and he'd improve pretty much any team in the world. Uh, Alan says he did not need to think twice about joining Everton in the summer with the project the club are putting together a key part. I'd imagine the big bag of money had a lot to do with it as well and probably Carlo. But yeah, sure, the project. I mean, it, they're, they're going in the right direction. Uh, it just helps when you get that big bag of money. Former, <laughs> former midfielder Roy Keane believes Manchester United can push Liverpool for the Premier League title and could be the reigning champions' closest contenders. Uh, Roy, uh, lay off the sherry. It, I know it's Christmas, pal, but no, absolutely not. Slavin Bilic knew he would be sacked by West... But, Slavin Bilic knew he would be sacked as manager by West Brom when on the coach returning from Manchester City last week. That's harsh. I mean, that is harsh. I, I, like I said, I thought the timing was bad. I think the optics are bad, but it, it probably is the right decision overall. Uh, Andrea Pirlo has played down a potential transfer away from Juventus for Paolo Dybala. I would imagine they'll want to keep him because he's really, really good. I, I just don't see that they'll want to sell him unless he wants to leave, which he says he doesn't. Manchester City are willing to consider offers for uh, Alexander Zinchenko in the January transfer window. I like him as a player. I think he could do really well for a number of clubs, maybe not in the Premier League, maybe he needs to go abroad, but I think he's, he, he's a midfielder. The left-back nonsense needs to stop. Someone needs to get him, play him left side of midfield three, and you'll have a good player. Germany defender Antonio Rudiger says he isn't satisfied with his current situation, but will not look will not look for a transfer away in January. So he's not happy being probably the fourth-choice centre-back, maybe fifth-choice, depending on, on Tamori, but he's not looking for a move away. Here's why. Big bags of money. Chelsea give him ridiculous salary every week to not be very good. So, of course, he's going to stay. And Japanese winger Takafusa Kubu could see his season-long deal at Villarreal end in January to falling out of favour with Unai Emery. He's on roll, on, on, roll, on loan from Real Madrid. And uh, Madrid have very, very big plans for him and believe that he could do really good things, but they will not want him sitting on the bench. I don't think they'll want him any close to Unai Emery anyway, so, you know, that that is what it is. Uh, just this back page of the Daily Express here. It could have been 12-4. It really couldn't have been. It, it just couldn't have been 12-4, the United-Leeds game. But it, it could have been, like, I mean, 8-5 would have probably been a more real reflection of the game. It was it was bananas to watch. Every defender should be in for X trading this morning, though. Uh, and that's it. That is me for today. Right. Um, so I'm going to do today. Obviously, you've just listened to this. So I'll do today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Then we will have Friday off because it is Christmas Day, and I am not going to uh, ask Mr. Drinkle to join me on Christmas Day uh, to do this. So we will take Friday off. We may take the Monday off as well. We'll wait and see, and then New Year's Day we'll have off as well. So we'll, we'll we'll be on pretty much every day other than Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and maybe maybe this day week. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll see how Guy's feeling, um, because I you know I, I don't want to make decisions for him. Uh, but yeah, we'll be here till Thursday. Uh, Christmas Day you'll have to make do. I'm sure you'll have you might have something else to do on Christmas Day other than listen to me prattle on for an hour. Um, thanks as always for listening. I hope you've had a great weekend. I hope you're all ready for Christmas and nobody is facing any panic buys. I hope everybody's doing okay. Obviously, the new lockdowns and stuff have, have been implement, implemented in the UK, and they came quite suddenly and quite drastically from from left field. For for people in London, you know, you guys have moved from tier two to the previously unheard of tier four in the space of what five six days. Uh, so that's a bit mental. And obviously, you know, there's this tier four areas popped up now and a bunch of different places. So I, I know it's tough for everybody. I know we've all had a very tough year with COVID, with lockdowns, with, with losing people. And, and it is, it's a very, very tough year for us all to get through. But I really hope everybody's doing okay. If you're not, reach out to somebody, reach out to me. 
at two footed pod on Twitter, two footed podcast at gmail.com. You know, just send me an email, send me a text. We can or send me a tweet. We can waffle at any point. It, I'm always available to chat to anybody who needs just somebody to talk to, somebody to listen to. I'm always available for that. Um, like I say, thank you very, very much for listening. Thank you to Guy, as always. Thank you to Foxhorn for our title music. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourself and have a good evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.